0: you have You're in to the just back and Let me take your away. Now let's what has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. Hey there, my fellow cosmic adventurers. I'm your host, Kyle, and welcome to the most electrifying audio show in the entire galaxy, Star Wars Audio Archives. I hope you are doing fantastic, because get ready to have your socks blown off. Last week's adventure was a mere teaser because now it's time to crank up the fun factor to 11. Get ready for an out-of-this-world roller coaster packed with hard-pounding action and thrills that will make your lifesaver quiver with excitement. Are you ready to get this party started? Then let's go.
1: It's cold, Mag said, shivering and looking around as if for verification from the others. Feels good though, doesn't it? After all that, Kendra didn't say anything. They had just stepped out of the tunnel, she and Mags and Hartwick, with Master Haraken silently bringing up the rear. Hartwick had taken Rat's lightsaber, scrubbing the handle with the first handful of snow he could scoop up. But no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't get the stain to go away. ''Are we going to talk about what happened back there?'' Mags asked. ''What?'' Kindra said. ''You have something you need to say?'' They all turned around to look at Hartwig, standing several meters behind them, still inside the tunnel so that half his face remained in darkness. ''With Rat,'' Mag said. ''He... Rat got turned,'' Hartwig said, emerging into the vague gray glow of the twilight air, breath pluming from his lips. It was the first time he'd spoken since they chopped their way through the barrier, and his voice sounded different, thick and strange.'' He changed into one of them, and Master Harakon boxed him, and I got his lightsaber. End of story.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch,
1: and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us what would you like the power to do
0: mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america and a member FDIC.
1: what about us mags asked none of us was bitten as far as i can tell Hartwig looked around as if waiting to see if the others would contradict him you okay mags nodded Kendra, you have something you need to come clean about she didn't look around Kendra! Silence. Hey. Hartwick walked over, pushing past Mags, and grabbed her shoulder, swinging her hard toward him. I'm talking to you. Kendra snapped around on him, her eyes brittle pellets. I'm clean. You're sure? Hartwick hadn't lowered his hands. What's that on your neck? Very funny. You think I'm joking? He waited while Kendra reached up and touched her throat. "'perhaps a centimeter lateral to the jugular. "'She winced at the open wound, "'drew back her hand, "'and looked at the scarlet stain on her index finger. "'Standing apart from them, a little distance away, "'Master Harakon watched without saying anything. "'Just a cut,' she said. "'A piece of the electrical fixture. "'You don't know that,' Hartwick said. "'You don't think I'd remember being bitten?' "'I think,' he held her gaze.' ...that there was a lot of infected blood flying around. And if some of it splashed in there... ...then I'd already be screaming and ripping your guts out, Kindra snapped. Which I'm not, no matter how much I'd like to. So if you're done casting baseless aspersions... You were ready to kill me back there over a lightsaber, Hartwick said. Seems to me that it's in the group's best interest if we took you out of the equation now. He glanced at the Sith Master... Right, Master Haraken. Haraken didn't have a chance to reply before Kendra cut in again. Is this really what you want? She asked Hartwig, blade ready. We've sparred enough times in the training arena. You know how it's going to go down. Hartwig didn't answer, just stared at her, shoulders rising and falling with every breath, his face betraying no trace of emotion. The wind flung another thin gust of snow between them, and Kendra felt the cut beginning to ache on her throat. Make a move, she said. You first. Wait, Mag said. Nobody knows what the incubation period for this thing is, right? Hartwig didn't take his eyes off Kindra. Seemed pretty fast with Raat. Yeah, but Raat got tagged firsthand. Maybe accidental exposure takes longer. Kendra could hear Mag's voice growing more confident as he spoke, warming to his own argument. Point is, we don't know. So before somebody does something stupid, how about we all take a step back, strip down, and make sure nobody's got any open cuts that could have gotten contaminated blood in them. He looked back at Combat Master Harakan, who still had not spoken. What do you think? Harakon nodded. Yes, he said. Strip down? Kendra's expression had already gone from bellicose to incredulous. You're asking me to take my clothes off. It's the only way to be sure. He glanced at Hartwig. You agree to that? Why not? Hartwig shrugged. I've got nothing to hide. He yanked off his tunic and the uniform shirt beneath it, then shoved his pants down to his ankles. In front of him, Kendra had already slipped out of her coat, keeping her bare arms crossed over her chest, gazing back defiantly at the others. That's as far as I'm going. Hartwig rolled his eyes and turned back to Mags who stood shivering in his shorts and boots, clutching a wad of balled-up clothes against him like a small child that had gone to sleep. Behind him, bare-chested, stood Master Harakon. The combat master had also stripped the waist without being asked, revealing a broad, well-muscled physique hardened by scar tissue, strange tattoos, and decades of intense physical conditioning. His head was bowed as if he was inspecting something in the snow... Looks like we're all clean, Hartwick said. So I guess that means we... Master Harakon raised his head. The crooked slash of his grin on his face seemed to cut almost diagonally across the entire width of his head. Blood had already started streaming down on either side of his mouth where he'd gnawed his own lips open. There was nothing human in his eyes. With a shapeless noise that was half shout, half gasp, Hartwig fumbled for his lightsaber and dropped it in the snow. He bent down, scrambling to pick it up, but succeeded only in pushing it deeper. In less than a second, Harakon was on him. He grabbed Hartwig's head and buried his teeth in the student's throat, ripping out a mouthful of tissue and cartilage. Kindra watched wild, looping parabolas of blood spurting high in the air around him, like a miniature fountain that had been turned on directly beneath Hartwig's chin. Hartwick staggered backward, hands up, blinking at the Sith Master as he whipped around to face him. His nerves were gone. Harakon's hands flew up, preparing to fire off a burst of force lightning when its head toppled sideways off its shoulders and rolled, still spurting, into the dark snowdrifts. Harakon's decapitated body collapsed, seizing and twitching, and Mag saw Kendra standing behind it. She gripped the lightsaber in both hands with absolute steadiness. Thanks, Mags breathed. Forget it. She walked over to Harakon's still snarling head and chopped it straight down the middle. That one's all yours. Mags looked back around at Hartwick's corpse. Its ripped open throat spilled out sloppily across the snow like a losing hand of Pazak. The thing was already starting to come back. It was squirming in place, shifting its arms and legs, preparing to sit up again. Listless bubbling and gurgling sounds issued from the hole in its neck. You are gonna take care of that? Kendra asked. Mags took a breath and swung his own lightsaber down on Hartwick's corpse, carving its torso open from throat to groin. Gazing down at him, Kendra realized she could see the black, still-pulsing gristle of the thing's dead heart laboring stupidly onward, gasping for one more beat. What she felt more than anything at that moment was revulsion at the human machine's mindless commitment to endure and endure and endure. "'Is it down?' she asked. Mags didn't answer. "'Is it down?' Max went to work with the lightsaber again, and this time it took the Hartwig thing's head off at the shoulders. The head dangled for a moment on one remaining ribbon of flesh, then dropped away. A few listless dribbles of boiled blood leaked like tears from the sheared-off arteries, black as used oil, before they cauterized completely. Now it's down, he said. Kindra nodded but kept her own lightsaber drawn. ''What now?'' Mags asked. ''I'm leaving,'' she said. ''You're staying here.'' Mags blinked. ''What?'' Kendra's lightsaber slashed out from the back, catching him across the hamstrings, shearing through tendons just above the ankle. Mags shrieked and slipped, arms pinwheeling, all balance gone. He was screaming at her, asking her why she did it. What did she think she was doing?'' But by that time, Kindra had already turned and started running. Not walking, but running as fast as she could in the opposite direction. Wait! Mag sat up and tried to stand, but his lower legs refused the job. The severed Achilles tendons dumping him forward again into the snow. When he lifted his head up, he heard the noises coming up from behind him. No, Mags thought. No, this was all a mistake. Just a big mistake. He looked back, and they fell on him. After 20 minutes of wandering through the library, Zoe had to admit that she was utterly lost. At first, the voice of the Orchid had drawn her onward as she'd entered the high doorway and followed the main concourse through room after room, some with ceilings so high that she couldn't see them, others so cramped that she had to bend down just to pass through. Irregularity was the only design here. Symmetry fractured by age and weather. With every step, the subterranean air had grown steadily colder. And Zoe was acutely aware of traveling not just forward, but downward, as though the library's depths sank without boundary into the very core of the planet. She could feel the air in her lungs and taste the oxidized flavor of metal shavings. The only remaining light came from the torches and lamps mounted high overhead. The only sound was the crunch of her footsteps. Even at these depths... Snow had found its way inevitably through the cracks and broken places, stirring wraith-like and restless in the low whine of the wind. When she looked back, she saw her footprints leading down the hallway, one lonely set of tracks gleaming in the torchlight. Who lit these torches, she wondered, and who kept them burning? Tulka had refused to follow her here, leaving her to go alone alone when she'd confronted him about it and said let me get this straight you'll walk into a Sith Lord's tower but you won't go into a library he'd merely nodded and planted his feet telling her that he knew a trap when he saw one Zoe had protested she knew the sound of the Orchid's voice calling to her but now she was beginning to wonder if he was right to stay away the Orchid would never deliberately put you in danger You know that. Yes, she did. And yet... Up ahead, a vast cathedral-ceilinged room spread open, flickering in the light of a few sparsely placed torches. Faintly, she thought she smelled smoke and burning flimsoplast. She looked right and left, allowing her attention to be drawn upward and upward farther, straining to encompass the shelves and their apparently endless holdings. Another gust of wind whipped through the open space, stirring the old, dry snow that lay here and there in random accumulations along the tiled floor. Zo paused. She hadn't heard the voice of the orchid in several minutes. Not for the first time, she wondered if she could find her way back if she had to. She supposed that she might be able to follow her own tracks back out if the draft from the cracks in the walls hadn't already smoothed them away. There were plenty of hiding places here if she ran into trouble, but what if the trouble was waiting for her in one of them? Something touched her face, cold and knowing. Zoe froze and held her breath, staring into the empty space immediately in front of her nose. There was nothing visible there. Yet she felt its presence. An unseen, leather-gloved hand stroking her cheek, running over the length of her jaw and down to her throat, searching out her soft areas with the intimacy of a lover. Her chest squeezed and clamped shut over the skittish tremolo of her pulse. A noise behind her scraped through the silence, very close. Zoe whipped around and looked back up the way she'd come. Her tracks were still there, ...leading away into the distant edge of vision. And now she saw them. A second set of tracks... ...running parallel to hers. The prince stopped, perhaps ten meters away... ...and cut sideways... ...disappearing behind a sagging half-wall... ...its dimensions buried in shadow. Within its depths... ...something was standing, watching her. Zoe felt the weight of its presence settling over her... ...anchoring her to the spot... Tensing to run, she saw Scabros step out from behind the wall and into the half-light, so that almost exactly half his face was illuminated. Zoe glimpsed the gem-edged hardness in his eye. His face was a mottled quilt of gray flesh and exposed muscle, and the clenched grin on his face was somewhere between madness and rigor mortis. He'd been infected, she realized yet somehow he'd managed to stave off full transformation, at least temporarily. Her gaze fell to the pack of medical equipment, monitors, tubing, and depleted reservoirs of blood that dangled from the angular arch of his shoulders. This new version of him looked gaunter but somehow more imposing, as if the bones inside his body had swollen and remade him from the inside out. Hestizo Trace. "'he said, extending one hand. "'It's good to see you again. "'I hope you won't bother trying to run.' "'She opened her mouth to speak and realized she couldn't breathe. "'Scabris gestured with one hand, and she felt herself yanked forward, "'down the corridor and into his grasp. "'Within seconds, she was so close to him that she had to look up to see his face. "'This library,' he said, "'is the oldest part of the academy.' older even than the tower itself. It was constructed over a thousand years ago by a Sith Lord named Darth Drear. He founded the academy back when the planet itself was young. The ancient writings tell about how he used his first students as laborers. For hundreds of years, the masters at this academy believed that a good many of those students died down in these very chambers. Using the force to move hundreds of tons of snow and ice and dig out these corridors and chambers to house Dreer's vast collection of specimens. It was thought that Dreer worked the students until they died from exhaustion. He smiled without the slightest gleam of humor. The true genius of the structure lies beneath it. Under these floors, Drear built himself a secret temple where he practiced the rituals and rites of the ancients, encoded in the Sith holocron. Zoe's lungs began to unlock enough for her to sip in a small breath. Grow, she called out to the Orchid. Oh please, if you're there, if you're there at all, grow, grow in him, grow now. But there was nothing. When I first discovered the holocron, Scabrus said, I did not fully understand its protocols. He gestured to his face at the horror of its ongoing decay. But I understand them now. What do you want from me? So asked. Ah. Scabris's cheeks sucked in and he licked his lips so that she could see the dead, gray surface of his tongue like a lizard coiled against the yellow stones of his teeth. Darth Dreer wrote that he had found an elixir for staving off death itself, the ingredients of which he recorded in the holocron, including, of course, your beloved orchid. The mixture was complete in and of itself with a single flaw he gestured at his own face. The inevitable dissolution of the tissue. It struck immediately upon exposure, spreading first through the brain, where it drove the victim into a state of homicidal madness, and then through the rest of the body, shutting it down. The flesh would remain animate but insensate, living only to hunger, to feed and kill. If you knew all that, Zoe asked, why would you ever try to recreate the experiment yourself? Scabrous's grin seemed to dangle from the sides of his face, a prehensile thing all its own. Before he died, Darth Dreer wrote of the final stage of the process, the step that he himself was never able to achieve. He dispatched his sentries to a nearby planet to abduct a Jedi and bring him to the secret temple underneath the library. After ingesting the elixir, in the final hours before his body gave in completely, under exactly the right circumstances and conditions, Dreer planned to use a ceremonial Sith sword to cut open the Jedi's chest while he was still alive and eat his heart. Only then, with that final infusion of midi-calorians still warm from the Jedi's blood, would the decay process be held back, granting the Sith Lord his ultimate immortality? Zo stared at him. She couldn't move, couldn't breathe. Unfortunately, Scabro said, the sentries failed to bring back a Jedi with a suitable quantity of midi-chlorians in his bloodstream before Drear's disease overtook him. But tonight, with your assistance... I am in the unique position of being able to fulfill that destiny personally. Zoe felt something curl around her arms, snapping them back with a sharp jerk and forcing her shoulder blades back. Thick green vines had looped over her elbows and squirmed up her sides. She craned her neck to the right, and when she looked around, she saw them. The dead ones. The corpses that she had faced on the rocky overhang outside the tower their heads were still gone, blown off their shoulders. Instead, the riot of catastrophic vegetation that she had coaxed from inside their skulls had grown more profuse since she'd seen them last, grown with utter abandon. These were the runners and vines that had ensnared her now, stretching from the stumps of their necks dozens of slick green ropes gripping her arms and holding her fast. As Zoe stared at them, She saw, to her immeasurable horror, that the stems were topped with dozens of tiny, black orchids budding everywhere. In her mind, she could hear the flowers hissing and shrieking, crackling hysterically, hungrily, insanely. They pricked her arms like thirsty syringes, questing after her blood. No, she thought, no, no, please. You grew them, Scabra said. "'How lovely that they recognize you.' "'The headless, vine-stricken corpses pushed in closer, "'groping and shoving until Zoe realized that she could smell them. "'They stank like a freshly disinterred grave, "'full of black dirt and mold and rotten meat. "'She felt their cold skin pushing against her "'even as the vines constricted tighter around her arms, "'squeezing, twisting, pinching her skin.' Scabrous stepped forward, shoulders rising up until he towered over the things. His mouth opened wide, and he screamed. His breath was fetid, the breath of a thing that had already died and was decaying from the inside out. Zoe felt the things responding immediately to the scream, recoiling, pulling her back with them. And when they screamed, their response... It was a terrible, throatless noise that came throbbing up from their severed necks, vibrating up and out of the stalks. One solid blast of high-pitched sound that rose, shifted frequency, and dropped again, a message composed entirely of high-pitched, almost ultrasonic oscillation. They swung her around. In an act of pure desperation, some part of her must have already known she would fail. Zoe tried to use the force on them, tried to reach out and connect with the plant presence inside them. At the instant she made contact, a sharp jolt of toxic energy crackled through her, slamming through her brain like an ice axe and making her cry out loud. The inner landscape of her eyelids swirled with seer colors, shades of burnt bronze and anemic yellow. The vines were dragging her down the corridor of the library, across the cold floor. Zoe's eyes widened. Up ahead, a great rectilinear hole gaped open in the floor to reveal a shadowy pit whose depths seemed bottomless, even from here. Yet there were strange lights below, shimmering from deep within. And she knew where she was going. Under these floors, Dreer built himself a secret temple where he practiced the rituals and rites of the ancients. Scabrous gestured, and they pulled her down. Trace crossed a long, desolate stretch of nothingness between two high, featureless walls, the night storm barreling down over him like a demon with a debt to collect. Up ahead, still perhaps a hundred meters in the distance, stood the tower. He was almost there. Despite his urgency, he knew he had to move more carefully now. Since the death of the Sith Blademaster, he'd seen no more of the things like the one inside the wall, but he'd known they were there. Extrasensory perception, telemetric ability, was no longer necessary. He could hear them screaming. And the screaming got louder the closer he came to the tower, more intense somehow, and hungrier. He had never seen anything like the abomination that had ripped the Blademaster apart. A living corpse. A dead thing whose flesh and muscle still moved, even as it decayed before his eyes. He sensed their presence around him, below and behind the unseen temples and stone outbuildings. Could a lightsaber dispatch a creature like that? or would it merely tear it into individual pieces that would in turn continue to pursue their prey? And what about Hestizo? Had the things found her as well? He stopped again, stretching out with his feelings, the force casting a wide psychic net in search of any sign of his sister, but it retrieved nothing. He still believed that she was here, perhaps in a tower, perhaps not. But the silence within him was far more disturbing than the screaming in the distance. Keep going. You will find her. You will. For another ten minutes he scrambled forward. He took another step and faltered again, raising his head slightly, sniffing the air. He smelled smoke. Clambering to the top of a broken pillar, he looked in every direction until a glint of firelight in the distance caught his eye. A flickering orange glow inside a vast half-sunken stone structure, perhaps a quarter kilometer away. Trace watched it for a moment. He wanted to be sure. By itself, a fire would have meant nothing, especially on a planet of ruins where the Sith ruled and the dead had been restored to life. But he also suddenly felt his sister's presence inside. She's in there. She is... Leaping down off the broken pillar, Rojo Trace began to run. Twenty seconds, the time it took him to reach the entryway, shoving his way through, unmindful of the darkness, the snow and clutter, and the thickening stink of smoke. Loose objects lay strewn randomly around the floor, books, scrolls, unidentifiable debris, Rows of low stone tables like marble slabs. It was some type of vast library. He kept going. Estizo, it's me. Are you there? It's Rojo. I'm coming. I'm... An arm hooked him from behind, lurching him upward. Have a care, Jedi. An ancient voice, it croaked in front of him. Each word came out deliberately as a glottal, sawdusty reverberation that seemed to move the air molecules themselves. You seem to have forced your way into my sanctum sanctorum. Perhaps a modicum of restraint is in order. Trace felt himself being swung up into the air and realized that he was hanging from the limbs of an immense tree. Looking down, far down, he saw the warty knuckles of its roots plunged deep into the floor itself, causing its variegated tiles to buckle and bulge. The thing's trunk rose upward to spread dozens of sinuous gray limbs throughout the cavernous and gloomy room around it. Its upper branches clutched his wrist tighter than ever, swinging him around and Trace observed that the walls around him were lined floor to ceiling with shelves of hollow books, scrolls and grimoires, and various cluttered arcana crammed back in every available notch and crevice. This is my dwelling place, Jez. The tree creature's voice burbled up from somewhere inside its trunk. And you have intruded here. Trace's hand eased back for his lightsaber. There was a sharp whip crack and a sting as one of the branches slapped it aside, and Trace saw the lightsaber go pinwheeling away. It landed below the shelves in the corner by the outer edge of a glimmering hearth, where the orange coals of a fire seethed and flickered. "'No need for your weapon here,' the voice said. "'Not in this place of learning.' We are both learned beings, are we not? Enlightened and informed by the written word? No need for the encumbrances of physical violence. It uttered another bulky, dusty chuckle. Look upon me, if you like. Seek my face. Trace smelled a tangy, musty odor pass beneath his nose, and turned to see the librarian's enormous wooden head craning toward him between its barren branches. It was a netty, he realized, and it was sick. Whatever contagion had infected this planet had spread to it as well. Along its backside, the plant creature's once majestic form had taken on an altogether different cast... The formidable branches hung like clumps of atrophied muscle. Clusters of open sores had devoured the bark, and the exposed heartwood oozed a steady trickle of dark leakage that had collected on the floor around its roots. Whole shoals of hollow books and Sith texts floated like skiffs in the sprawling puddle of fluid. Whatever had befallen the Sith students here it had jumped across species without losing any of its virulence. I'm looking for a Jedi named Hestizo Trace. The neti didn't respond right away, except to shift his branches. Trace saw now that the creature's limbs were loaded with mountains of hollow books. Hundreds of them. Some piled so high that whole avalanches went spilling in one direction or another whenever he moved. "'Of course I know about her,' the netty replied. "'You are her brother, Jess?' The branches trembled and more books fell. "'Alas, she is lost!' Trace felt a sudden chill run through him, as if he'd just been poisoned and was only now beginning to realize it. "'How do you know?' "'What does it matter?' THROUGH THE BOND OF LEAF AND VINE." A faint pause. I SUMMONED HER HERE AT THE REQUEST OF LORD SCABRUS, AND HE KILLED HER. YOU'RE LYING. AM I NOW? The withered face didn't seem overly offended by the accusation. If anything, it looked intrigued. You don't sound so sure of yourself, Jedi. Not so sure at all. I have lived for more than a thousand years, and now I have come to glimpse my final hours. Perhaps before I pass into the next stage of my evolutionary development. ''You would like to peer inside my mind and see whether or not I'm telling the truth?'' Trace started to say something, but his voice broke off. The branch around his wrist clasped harder, turning him idly around, gouging into the bone. Archaic limbs rustled behind him, and he smelled a different odor coming out of them now, something far worse than the thing's breath.'' It was the enormous, boggy stench of the disease. Something deeply and profoundly wrong. Go on, the Nettie said. It sounded almost giddy now. Look into my mind, Jedi. See what awaits you there. Seek my face. Trace felt something encircle his right leg at the ankle and pull tight, even as the branch tugged harder at his wrist, exerting a steadily increasing tension. Seek my face. The netty repeated itself, foregoing speech entirely now, shouting the words directly into Trace's mind. Seek my face. Helpless, Trace felt himself sucked into the mire of the thing's thoughts. It was like plunging his hand into a vat of warm, black ooze. He groped for a moment in total blindness, trying to make some sense of the random shapes and impressions swimming around him in the Nettie's palatial memory. And he saw. It was a different part of the Sith Library. The hollow books and archives neatly arranged. Trace understood that he was seeing it through the Nettie's eyes before it had gotten sick, and now he grasped the true dimensions of the librarian's collection. It didn't fill just this single room, but a series of other rooms winding off in manifold directions. For the millennium or more that the Nettie had held court here as the Academy's librarian, it had been accumulating hollow books and charts... ...records and ephemera. Scouring the inner landscape for any sign of Hestizo... ...Trace's inner vision glided down one of these halls... ...moving as the Nettie's limbs had moved... ...winding around a corner... ...beneath the shadowy recesses and through gigantic horseshoe archways. The architecture changed here... ...becoming less monastic and more ornate... ...resembling more of a battlement than a library. The winding, incorporeal branches of the Netty's mind carried Trace deeper, past a recessed gallery, over a parapet, pausing here or there over endless accumulations of texts and writings. This is my fortress, the voice inside him intoned. My bastion of knowledge acquired over the millennia. But now it is my fuel. And always the echoing, mindless call for acknowledgement. Do you see, Jedi? Do you understand, fuel? And Trace felt himself nodding in perfect understanding. He did see. The Force helped him. He did. Whether or not he had actually become the Nettie in that moment, he wasn't sure. But their consciousness had melded. The two of them sharing a fundamental commonality that transcended simple thought and expression. He heard strange noises in his head. Plosives and sibilants, making a somehow familiar name. Dale Liss. It was the librarian's name, Trace realized, his patronymic, and somehow knew that on his home planet it meant lover of knowledge. A perfect choice for... All at once, the quality of light changed. The memory grew brittle, harsher, more severe. An opening in the floor... A chasm of immeasurable depth leading down into silent gray volumes of cold subterranean space. Here, at the bottom, Trace saw a hooded silhouette standing in a dusty shaft of overhead light surrounded by piles of rubble. Part of the wall had collapsed, or been torn away, to reveal a hidden chamber inside it. A hidden Sith temple... The cloaked figure fell to his knees and knelt there, face hidden from view, galvanized by whatever he saw. Trace watched as the man reached in with both hands to take out a large gray case, ornately filigreed with hieroglyphs, glinting in the meager light. A moment of stillness shivered past, then the figure turned the case on its side, smooth pink hands. They slid over it to find a recessed release switch and activated it. The box sprang open, and in that instant, Trace caught sight of a black pyramidal shape, its depthless surface reflecting back no light, only the pale face of the man gazing raptly into it. A Sith holocron, Trace thought. Here, in this library, this is where Darth Scabros found... The pyramid was vibrating ever so slightly, and Trace saw the man's reflection change as his lips moved, murmuring words he couldn't hear. The pyramid began to vibrate more steadily, practically purring in the man's fondling
0: embrace. That was one intense ride. Episode 11 of Red Harvest was like a supernova of awesomeness. My heart was racing faster than the Ewok in a pile race. I can barely contain my excitement. Seriously, I am bouncing in my seat like an astromecha overdrive. Now brace yourself for this episode's quote. And trust me, it's going to give you the confidence to conquer the entire galaxy. Drum roll please. These inspiring words come to us from Herman Cain. He said, success is not the key to happiness, happiness is the key to success. So think about it like this, if you love what you are doing, you will be successful. Herman's quote challenges the conventional notion that success alone leads to happiness and asserts that happiness is, in fact, the catalyst for achieving success. At its core, it suggests that when we genuinely love and enjoy what we are doing, we become more motivated, focused, and driven to achieve our goals. In everyday life, many people strive for success in various aspects whether it be their careers, personal endeavors, or relationships. However, this quote prompts us to reevaluate our approach. It encourages us to prioritize our happiness and passions, understanding that they are essential ingredients for our prosperous journey. When we engage or work our activities align with our true passions, it ignites the sense of purpose and enthusiasm. We become more dedicated and willing to invest the time and effort necessary for growth and accomplishment. This genuine passion not only sustains our motivation, but also attracts opportunities that contribute to our success. Furthermore, by prioritizing our happiness, pursuing our passions and loving what we do, we pave the way for a fulfilling and prosperous journey. It reminds us that true success lies not solely in external validation, but in the joy, fulfillment and sense of accomplishment that we get from our endeavors. And I think that's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed episode 11 as much as I did. And I hope you will join me next time for more excitement and adventures in the Star Wars universe. Until then, may the Force be with you. (laughs) Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel and is distributed by SwayCast Network. Thor Red Harvest was read to you by Jeremy Owens. Sound design by Theodore Thompson. I'm your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.